Production support comes from Smithville, a locally owned business serving central and southern Indiana since 1922 with residential and business internet, voice, and security services. Smithville, local pride, global technology. Information at smithville.net. And from IU School of Public Health Bloomington, addressing public health needs by preventing disease, promoting health, and improving quality of life across the state and around the world through research, teaching, and community engagement. Offering undergraduate and advanced degrees. publichealth.indiana.edu. Welcome to Noon Edition. I'm Bob Zaltzberg, editor of the Herald Times, along with co-host Mary Catherine Carmichael. And today we're going to talk about the high cost of child care. A recent report released by Child Care Aware of America shows that before and after school care in Indiana is some of the least affordable in the uh, in the nation. So uh, we're going to talk about that and why it's uh, that those costs are so high in Indiana comparatively, and about a whole lot of other aspects of child care and, and paying for child care. With uh, three great guests, two of them in the studio, and one who is getting, going to join us by phone from Indianapolis uh, in the studio. We have Julie Rust, uh, who is a parent and a member of Knee-High Child Care Cooperative. We have Jen Smallwood, the director of the Center for Children and Families at the Monroe County YMCA. And joining us by phone from Indianapolis is Patty Ryan, the interim executive director of Indiana Association for Child Care Resources and Referral. If you want to join us on the program, if you have questions or comments about child care and the cost of child care, Please call us at 855-0811 or 877-285-9348. You can also join the live chat at wfiu.org slash noon edition. You can also follow us on Twitter at noon edition. So uh, welcome to everybody. Thanks for being here. Thanks for having us. Thank you. Hey, can can we begin? Patty, I've never heard of your organization before, the Indiana Association for Child Care Resource and and Referral. Um, Could you tell us what kind of an organization that is and what your uh, goals are? Sure. Um, We're a statewide organization. We work with nine community-based child care resource and referral agencies serving every zip code and county in Indiana, and our mission is um, to uh, simply increase the quality of child care in the state of Indiana and also assist families in accessing high-quality, affordable child care in the state. Are you a not-for-profit? We are a not-for-profit organization, and our nine uh, local agencies are also not-for-profit. Okay. They're, they're regionally based. Oh, great. Thanks. Okay. I, I think all of you are, are probably aware of this recent um, study, but what, were, was it uh, surprising to find out that we pay more in Indiana for at least some of the child care that's available than um, than other states? So was that, did that surprise you, Jen? Uh, I think because I think the study looks at it as a percentage of income, not necessarily that we're paying as much for child care, that – because incomes, I think, on average are lower in Indiana than they are on, say, the East Coast or the West Coast. Mm-hmm. But it does seem – it did surprise me, I think, in general that we were on the higher end there. Mm-hmm. Now, how about you, Julie? Well, from personal experience, <laughs> as a very rich graduate student um, with a nurse husband, um, certainly child care um, – it is, it is a difficult thing. I think it's a national issue, um, of course, really. Um, mm-hmm. Anywhere we're, we're looking to move right now, I'm on the job market. And one of the first things I kind of look is sort of, you know, typical cost of child care. And mm-hmm. really, I've never gone anywhere where I'm like, yeah, that's totally affordable for our three kids. <laughs> so, so I think it is a national problem that, that we need to have a national dialogue about. Mm-hmm. And Patty? It surprised me a little bit that Indiana ranks so high among school-aged care in particular, but um, as both Jen and Julie have said, it didn't surprise me in relation to families' incomes. We hear that every day. Families really struggle to find um, and pay for affordable, high-quality care. Mm-hmm. Well, I think one one of the things that surprised me when I looked at it is in some of the data, they compare like a year of, of a college, and I'm not sure if that was just tuition or, or what. It was over eight thousand dollars for mm-hmm. a year of college, and it was um, well various various levels eight thousand seventy three 
dollars for center-based infant care in Indiana, very close to a year of college, 6400 uh, nearly 65 for a four-year-old, and for school-aged child, 5759 So that's a lot. That's a lot of money to have to put aside for child care, and I assume that's a per child. So oh yeah, absolutely yeah. So and a lot of people have. It's not a buy one get one yeah, free right, situation. Right. <laughs> you, you can't just. Uh, there's no no dealing. No no. <laughs> right. No and you know they it's you you have to pay it every week or every two weeks whatever. I mean it, they there's no sense of humor about it. It's not like you have a cha- any choice. I mean that has to come off the top absolutely. Mm-hmm. Right and as a mom now of. Um, one child in college and another going to cho- college, middle income, both my husband and I work. We have access to supports that will help us send our children to college. We can get loans. They can get scholarships. That help was not available mm-hmm. to us when our children went to child care. Mm-hmm. So it's especially difficult for um, middle income, low income uh, families that do not um, access subsidies. So it's very difficult. Right. Okay. If you want to join this conversation, please phone us at 855-0811 in Bloomington or one eight seven seven two eight five nine three four eight outside of the local calling area. You can also join a live chat at wfiu.org slash noon edition. Well, Julie, as a, a parent to young children who are at Nehi. First, describe Nehi, the cooperative, and how, how it's run. And secondly, just talk about how you chose it. How did you go about choosing childcare? Great. So so I just complained about childcare costs, but um, actually, <laughs> right now, um, we've, we've, we've had a wonderful four or five years here in Bloomington um, because of the really unusual options um, that, that have been afforded us here. Um, so when we initially were looking into childcare, I had, you know, a six-month-old my first and we were looking to move here for graduate school and I literally just went sort of on the web, you know, the interweb and looked up all sorts of childcare options and um, I'm a little on the you know, cheap side. So I was looking for, you know, I really want important, you know, it's really important to me that my kids have great, a great place to be. And then I stumbled on, I had never thought about this concept of a cooperative-based um, concept. And, and we're lucky here to be supported um, by IU Child Services. And so... The co-op system is really, again, it, I think it used to be a little bit more popular, and now sort of Bloomington is kind of unusual that we have two different co-ops. Mm-hmm. Um, but, but within that system, what happens is the parents all sort of um, come together um, with our children ages six months to four. So we are early, early childhood here. Um, and we all kind of work the shifts together. We each work two five-hour shifts each week. We also, in addition, hire work-study assistants, um, so we don't have to pay quite as much as they're actually getting paid because we're, again, assisted by the university. The university pays for our small building and the upkeep. Um, and it's really become, in many ways, um, you know, way more than just sort of the cheapest place I could find <laughs> to right. throw my children um, because what happens is you, you, you um, create a small community of both children that you love, parents that love your children, children, you know, parents that your children love. Um, and it's just this very unusual dynamic that um, we've really, really been blessed by while we've been here. Did you have any trouble getting in or was there a wait list? So there's typically a, a wait list, but it's not insane. Usually, probably because you really do have to have some flexibility in your schedule. I mean, we're certainly really aware that this is something that's a real privilege to be able to be a part of. Um, first of all, you, you do need to have, you know, it's, it's we privilege IU affiliation. So if you have some sort of IU affiliation and then you're going to need to have two big chunks of the day to work shifts. And so that, I think, really narrows the pool of applicants. But Mm -hmm. we usually have five to eight um, that are sort of on a wait list. Mm -hmm. And so we kind of have these intense interviews where we all the, you know, every family's represented and we grill people with questions um, about, you know, how, because it's sort of an interview for them as being child care workers for our mm-hmm. children. And it feels very intimate because it's a small co-op. We have no more than 12. Um, and so it, it, it worked. It, actually going through that interview process made me kind of really respect um, Nehi and uh, really hope to get in. And so, mm-hmm. yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and Jen, the um, the Center for Children and Families at the Y is that um, I'm, you know the Y just opened the Northwest Y. I know childcare right. was a big issue. 
for that, a big initiative. Is that where the center is? That is. Mm -hmm. So the Center for Children and Families is located at the Northwest Y, although it has its own separate entrance and is securely separated from the facility entirely. Um, It's a licensed center-based child care center for children six weeks through pre-kindergarten, so five or six, depending on how old they might be. Mm -hmm. Wow. And you you, uh, offer child care at both wise, right? Well, it's a different situation. It's, it's very different. Yeah. So play and learn is offered at both YMCAs and is a member benefit of being a member at the Y. And it's for use while you're in the building and is free of charge for members. So you can use it for up to two hours at a time while you're there. Mm-hmm. So the Center for Children and Families is very different in that it's a, a, a licensed center where you can take your children, go off to work for eight hours and then come back at the end of the day and they stay all day. It's an educational program, a play-based educational program Mm -hmm. for young children. We feed them breakfast, lunch, and snacks. They take their nap. They play on the playground, Mm -hmm. those kinds of things. Okay. Wow, that's a big undertaking. It is a big (laughs) undertaking. (laughs) Yeah. Well, the new, I I know the new why out there has a lot of, had a lot of big plans. And this was one of them that was in the works from the beginning that you wanted to provide quality child care in that area of town uh, where they're, I mean, the cook companies are out there and GE's out there and there's there's a lot going on. What's uh, let's since we're talking about cost today? What does it cost? Um, and I don't know how you do it. Do you do it weekly, monthly? We do. We do it weekly, and it varies by the age of the child. Mm-hmm. And we can talk about why that is at some point. If but it ranges between one hundred and sixty-five dollars a week for preschool, mm-hmm. up to two hundred and thirty-five dollars a week for infant care. Mm-hmm. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I remember when I was uh, I had child care uh, back in the day, sixteen years ago now, and I paid one hundred seventy-five dollars a week. So that's kind of sounds like it's held pretty steady. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, I think I, I read something uh, recently. I've probably got it here in one of my stack of papers that the cost of child care actually has gone up quite uh, a, a bit more than salaries. You know, mm-hmm. wages mm-hmm. have gone up mm-hmm. in the last. But, of course, wages haven't gone up very much at all in the last five or six years. So what I can't figure out. Yeah, I'm sorry. But yeah. what I can't figure out is, as, as we said earlier, that a lot of child care providers really aren't making much money. Where's the money going? Well, child care is very, very labor intensive. So for one group of eight infants, I need two full-time staff members plus probably two part-time support staff Mm -hmm. for eight babies. For a group of 20 preschoolers, I need, again, two full-time people plus several support staff to help them. And and if we're open for 12 hours like we are, that's a lot of hours of people that we're paying. Mm -hmm. And if we want our staff to want to work for us and stay with us, which is one of the biggest indicators mm-hmm. of high-quality care is that the teachers stay. We have to give them benefits right. um, mm-hmm. and things like that. So, right, so we don't, even though we don't pay them is anywhere near what they're worth and what they'd be making with their same college degree in another setting, it's still, if we paid them any more, we couldn't, we families could never mm-hmm. afford it. Now, with uh, especially with since you're doing infants, and not not every uh, child care even takes infants, and yet people are expected to go. Women are expected to go back to work as our men um, after only six weeks. In in many many cases, do you have to have or do you have a nurse on staff or some kind of a health professional? I'd be you know with a, all those children around you. You'd want to have a healthcare professional, but I can imagine that would escalate your costs considerably. Right. So we're not required to have a healthcare person on staff, but we are required to have a health program that is approved by the state. We have a consulting physician here in town who's had to look over all of our policies and procedures in terms of how we care for children um, when there are illnesses. Mm-hmm. There are a lot of kind of how to's on if children get some sort of illness, when they're excluded, how long they're excluded for, how we share that information with other families. Mm-hmm. And I'm sure your staff is CPR and all, first aid. Exactly. Even all we do that. As a CPR and first aid, mm-hmm. specifically infants for infants and children, sure. pediatric CPR. Right, right. And Patty, I know you wanted to add some to you know, the idea of, of uh, where, the, where the money goes. Um. Well, I, I, I think that Jen did a good job explaining about some of the costs. Much of the cost is um, payroll and payroll-related. 
adult-child interactions are the most powerful predictor of a child's development. So it's important that families and families want to choose programs where there is low child-to-staff ratio. Mm -hmm. So Jen mentioned she had four uh, staff people per every infant. Um, And then you do also need support staff. There's food for the school age, which was higher. There are costs factored in, like transportation, um, enrichment activities, other types of costs. Um, But it it is um, a critical point for families to know is, um, while Jen and Julie are describing um, optimal types of programs, not all programs in the state of Indiana are regulated in the same way. So there are many types of programs that are exempt from any type of regulation. So the health program that Jen talked about wouldn't be there. Um, Providers Mm -hmm. may not need to have first aid and CPR. Um, The child-adult ratio might be much, much higher in those programs. So um, we do want to encourage families to call us and or go to the website and do an online search. And we also want families to be aware of the Paths to Quality program, which um, uh, is a voluntary program for child care uh, uh, programs in the state of Indiana and really demonstrates a commitment to quality above and beyond even what's um, required through licensure. Mm-hmm. Let me give the phone numbers again, uh, 855-0811 in Bloomington, 877-285-9348. If you have any questions about you know, how to find a high-quality child care uh, facility or if you have questions about cost or where there might be help available, um, I'm sure we have our guests who can answer any of those any of those questions. So you can give us a call or you can also join a live chat at wfiu.org slash noon edition. I wanted to follow up about uh, what you just said, Patty, about um, regulations because, you know, as important as as the um, well-being of children are, you would think that all child care facilities would have some sort of regulation. Uh, how, how are places exempt and, and what kinds of places are exempt? Um, well, there are more than 20 types of programs that can be exempt in the state of Indiana. Um, uh, depending upon um, uh, how long you care for children. Um, So if it's a a half-a-day program, they might be exempt from licensure. We also have different types of licensing and regulations. So um, Jen talked about being a licensed child care center. We also have licensed child care family homes in the state. If people in their homes care for five or fewer children, they don't have to be licensed. Um, six or more, yes, they need to be licensed and follow some regulation. And then we have a co- um, uh, population in our state called Registered Child Care Ministries. Those are basic, they follow basic health and safety guidelines. Um, there are um, less than 100 in the state that have gone above and beyond and attained voluntary certification program standards and um, even joined Paths to Quality and are moving toward accreditation, um, which is a, a stringent national set of standards within that Paths to Quality program. So it is a very confusing um, landscape for families and good for Julie that she went online and did her homework. Um, <laughs> And, again, we just want parents to know that we're here to help them uh, make just the best choice possible for their child or children for free. It's a free service. And what are the the questions that you receive over and over again? What are the most common questions? Well, I think that families are surprised to know, as you were, that not all care in the state of Indiana is regulated. Um, I, I think they're also surprised to learn that not uh, not all caregivers need to have first aid and CPR. There are basic assumptions families make uh, about child care as they do, you know, other consumer products that they purchase that just um, are not factual. Um, that, you know,
know, the number of children, the group size, all of those vary by type of care and by type of regulation or exemption from regulation. That's why um, past equality really has helped our state. Um, it, it, it gives families um, a tool to use when they're looking for care, knowing that all programs in past equality have, have attained a minimal set of health and safety requirements and are um, working their way up to national accreditation. Are there um, checklists available or lists of questions that parents who are seeking child care should make sure they ask a potential provider? That's a, that's a really good question. We do we do have a checklist on our website, um, iacra.org, iaccrr.org. There's also um, a website, childcareindiana.org that has a short web video that explains the different types of care. Um, uh, families should, should uh, look, they should ask questions, they should count, they should drop in unannounced, mm-hmm. they should check references. Their um, bottom line is um, many families are, uh, may not have the time to do the homework, that's why we encourage them to start early. Um, but look, observe, count, and listen. What about, I mean, technology seems to be in every aspect of our lives now. Are there, is there a trend for uh, daycare providers to have in-home cameras that you can, um, you know, watch from work? I, I haven't seen that trend um, there are programs across the state that have that. I have not seen that as a trend in our state. Okay. If I can jump yes, in just please, for a Jen, second. Yes. I, that's something that we actually looked into doing because we thought families might, I can do that when I take my dog right. to daycare. Well, I, sadly, that is kind of what the model is for this. <laughs> exactly. You know, you can watch your dog at doggy daycare. Right. Unfortunately, the the service that we looked at for that was quite expensive on a monthly basis for a secure login for families and things like that. So unless we hired our own IT person who knew how to do that, it was Mm -hmm. going to be cost prohibitive. And child care centers and child care family, child care homes and all of those really run on very, very tight margins. Mm -hmm. Even, I imagine, centers that run for profit, I I'm not sure how they do that, but um, it's a, just such a tight margin that it's hard to throw in those extra kinds of things. Mm-hmm. You know, it just occurred to me, people who come to your center, Jen, at the Y, are members of the Y, you have an affiliation with your child care through Indiana University. So it's it's got to be a tougher market for people who don't have these pre-existing affiliations. Well, our, our program is actually a community program. So you don't have to be a member of the Y to come to the Center for Children and Families. So that was just for, our, for the Play and Learn program. That's just a member service, but that doesn't help you go to work every day. Um, Mm-hmm. So the center is open to the community. Oh, okay, great. But I do think you make a great point. Actually, yes, I was dropping my son exactly. off this morning um, with Nehi. Um, <laughs> I was talking to the shift worker. He's there right now. Probably all the kids are around the radio, too. <laughs> hi, oh, hi, hi, kids. <laughs> um, but Matt was talking about how we, uh, you know, if, if anyone's out there listening, you know, that's a, a, in SPIA or really interested in, in policy or thinking about rethinking child care, another way to go, right? One way to go that's, I think, really important is this path to quality institutionalized way where we're trying to help make checklists and figure out what's important and have sort of these very um, objective measures of quality, right? That would be one, you know, of these large centers. And another way to go, right, would be to think about how can we make a model like Nehi Cooperative more sustainable for um, a wider variety of people um, and Rather than maybe get larger and get, you know, more institutionalized, how can we maybe create these smaller communities where maybe, you know, we don't we don't really have to. I can't remember where we are, but we're definitely not. And we're, we're kind of low in the totem pole in terms of the sort of um, what we have to do. We, we go above and beyond. But but I think that what's different, right, about a smaller community based kind of child care setting is we all know each other and hold each other accountable and know each other's kids. Mm-hmm. It's an entirely different model. And it's, again, not sustainable specifically for average working people from nine mm-hmm. to five. But 
Um, I hope there are thinkers out there that maybe can think about how that might be able to be recommended. We'll, uh, we hope to get them to call us. Yes, after call, the, call. After the break, we're, we're talking about uh, a recent report that was released by Child Care Aware of America. shows before and after child, school child care in Indiana is some of the least affordable in the nation. And uh, we're talking about that and other issues involving child care. If you want to join us after our break, I'm going to give you the phone numbers now so you can start calling. 855-0811 in Bloomington or 1-877-285-9348 outside of the Bloomington area. You can also join us online, wfiu.org slash noon edition for a live chat. We'll be right back. This is Noon Edition on WFIU. Production support comes from Smithville. Information at smithville.net. And IU School of Public Health Bloomington. Online at publichealth.indiana.edu. WFIU News covers South Central Indiana and the state each day. You can read news throughout the day as it's posted on our website at wfiu.org. And you can pick up a digest of all the top stories. It's like a newspaper delivered to your inbox each afternoon. It's a free and easy way to stay on top of not only the headlines, but also the in-depth audio, video, and print news stories you can't get anywhere else. Subscribe right now at WFIU.org news. Welcome back to Noon Edition. I'm Bob Zaltzberg from the Herald Times along with Mary Catherine Carmichael. And today we're talking about child care with three guests. Two are in the studio with us. They are Julie Rust. She, she is a parent and a member of Nehi Child Care Cooperative here in Bloomington. And also Jen Smallwood, the director of the Center for Children and Families at the Monroe County YMCA, the new Northwest Monroe County YMCA. Uh, we also have joining us by phone from Indianapolis, Patty Ryan, the interim dir- executive director of the Indiana Association for Child Care Resources and Referral. If you want to join us, please phone 855-0811 in Bloomington or one 285 from outside the Bloomington calling area. You can also join a live chat at WFIU.org slash Noon Edition. And you can follow us on Twitter at Noon Edition if you want to tweet us a question. So... We should go right to the phone. Yes, let's. All right. Pat's first. Pat? Um, I'm going with, to reiterate with, with Patty Ryan that Pat's equality, but also to say there are programs that are nationally accredited, which is the highest level of quality care, who are not at this time eligible for past equality. So when parents are looking for quality programs, they, will, they can um, look to national accreditation. In fact, at Bloomington, we have... Um, a couple of sites that are not um, eligible at this time because they're not licensed. But to be nationally accredited, you have to meet the licensing requirements and a great deal more. And I just want to say to parents, asking is your program nation- nationally accredited is a great question. And we know that there are many programs. We have um, over 500 working on that, um, and we currently have uh, 370 that are nationally accredited in this state. Okay. In the state. Okay. And what does that mean when they're nationally accredited? It means that they've met, um, for instance, the National Association for Education of Young Children. It means that they meet all the criteria that this national organization says is most critical for children relating to, as Patty talked about, child-staff ratio, staff credentials, interactions with children, the programming, um, the health supports, like Jen talked about. All of those things are required by national accreditation, it's the highest level uh, a program can achieve. Okay, thank you. All right, thanks a lot. Thanks for the call, Pat. Thank you. All right, and now we have Seth on the line. Seth? Hi, thank you for taking the call. And uh, I have two questions. The first one is, are there any tips on how do I get my toddler to get ready for daycare? And uh, she has not been in daycare before, and uh, we tried one. And then she's been crying quite a bit. So I didn't know if there are any tips you have okay. um, that, uh, that will help us to get my toddler uh, easier just to do the daycare. The second one is, are there programs available in uh, in Columbus area, even in Bloomington, where I could maybe go 
uh, with my toddler or the weekends and stuff like that and get her a little bit more socialized if you will um, with other kids so those are the two questions okay and right. they're related so that makes a lot of sense okay thanks right, great great let's, questions let's go to Okay, so let's go to Patty first. Patty? Okay. Um, if the caller wants to call our number, um, 800-299-1627, they can talk to somebody about programs in Columbia that, or Columbus, Columbus that mm-hmm. might be open on the weekend. I think that was the first question. Um, there is limited non-traditional care across the state, but um, someone here at our office would be able to help him in that case. The other, um, in, in terms of the transition, when trying to find, a, when searching for child care, you can ask those kinds of questions of the person. It would be uh, good for what you're thinking about is right on target in terms of assimilating um, your toddler into care so that you're comfortable and your toddler is comfortable. I, I think that Jen um, might have some additional tips based on uh, what they do, but some crying um, and some separation is a little bit normal. It's, it, it's how the caregiver responds to your toddler that's critical in an empathetic, soothing way to get them involved, to Mm -hmm. meet them um, where they are, where their needs are, and to really help them, that your toddler, gain comfort in the program that they're in. Okay, thanks. Jen, Julie? You both uh, have tips, I have I'm a couple sure. of tips. Yeah. Um, it kind of depends. In terms of socialization, there are a lot of different kinds of programs you can get involved with. Becoming from the Y, of course, I think about ours. And so there are a lot of classes for parents with young children to get involved in taking a swimming class that might involve other children or a gymnastics class that might involve other uh, similar age children. And there are other ones in town, too. Um, BABS, for example. Mm, um, Bloomington Area Birth Services has a lot of programs for Mm -hmm. parents with young children Mm -hmm. to get to know and socialize with each other. Wonder Lab, the library. Exactly. There's tons of opportunities to mix and mingle. Sound like Seth is from Columbus, so, so, so they and probably have a lot of they have a children. Yeah, I'm sure yeah. there are a number of things there as well. And then in terms of helping your child transition from home into child care, I think there are a number of things the family can do and that the child care situation can do. We, for example, do home visiting, so we will have our teachers come to your home to get to meet your child in their home setting, which helps the children feel a little more and the families feel a little more comfortable because often the transition isn't just for the children. It's also for the families Mm -hmm. who are, you know, your child is your heart on the outside. Mm -hmm. So when you're giving that young child to someone else to care for, it's uh, very challenging. Mm -hmm. So other things like allowing your child to have a comfort object to, that they can bring with them or something from mm-hmm. home. We have children bring family photographs. Those kind of things help a lot. Mm-hmm. What about visiting with your child ahead of time? Like, go, just go hang out for an hour, leave. Next time you go hang out for a little longer, that sort of thing. And that's a fantastic <laughs> thing if families have the flexibility to do that mm-hmm. with their work schedule. Some do and can do nice long transitions where they come and stay with their child and then the next day they leave for a short time and a longer, longer. Mm-hmm. Other families just don't have the ability to do that because they don't have time off from work. Mm-hmm. I would say with some children that would be actually more confusing. I think, and really? so we've been we've been uh, four years at this co-op, and so we've had lots and lots of transitions. Mm-hmm. And the the one absolute rule is that no kid is the same. No same thing will work mm-hmm. with every kid. Mm-hmm. There, of course, um, there are similar similar things that might work, and that and that has I've seen that work with some kids where the mom staying for quite a while or the dad hanging out is really effective. For others, the kid just seemed to do best if the mom just kind of like, you know, here we are, this is your school, took off, cried for a minute, and then it ended. And so it's mm-hmm. really, it's fascinating, I think, how um, every kid uh, is really different. Some are just acclimated immediately. Some take a couple weeks, mm-hmm. um, three to four weeks. So depending on the age of the child, right, how, how much they're able to communicate, a lot of times that communication ahead of time at home. Um, Seth, I'm not sure how old your toddler is, um, but, um, you know, talking ahead of time about the, the 
making a list of the things you're going to do that day. Well, first we're going to eat breakfast, then we're going to go to the daycare center, then we're going to come home, then we're going to... So kind of having that list, even carrying that list to the daycare center was effective for one child. And so depending on the age, the personality, the developmental, and then the specific relationships that they have with caregivers. There are many, mm-hmm. many of our kids that if that one assistant is there that day, we know Oliver is going to that assistant, you know, or mm-hmm. um, Lucy really needs to... If that parent's on shift, Lucy's going to go straight to that parent. And there are those really you know, individualized relationships that are formed. Do you find differences if they're if, if it's a, an only child or a first child compared to if they have older siblings when they come to daycare? That's a really good question. Mm-hmm. I have to think back yeah. about that. I, I don't I don't think so. I think really each child is very individual and their out personality is outgoing and or they're not and frankly one day may be different from the next That's day. That's so true too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Oh, oh sorry. No, Something no. that Julie said is um, critically important, and we attempt through a cadre of infant toddler specialists around the state to help child care programs with this so they can uh, let us know if they're interested. But that continuity of care for uh, toddlers, especially toddlers who are having a difficulty in transitioning mm-hmm. is critical. So if um, the same person is there to greet and to mm-hmm. care for that child throughout the day, that makes a huge difference. And I remember um, from, again, back in the day that there was very, the arrival was very ritualized as far as what you would do. You would find your name and mm-hmm. put your name on the board. Um, it was a little magnetic thing. So, I mean, it was very predictable and consistent. Every arrival was the same and every departure was the same. It should be predictable and the same. You should be greeted. Your child should be greeted. So those would be important questions for Seth to ask or really any parent to ask and to make sure that that routine is followed and that it is very predictable. All right. I want to turn the conversation back to to cost in a minute. But if you are out there and you have questions about anything – it has to do with uh, child care. Uh, we want to hear from you, 855-0811. If you're in Columbus or anyplace else in our listening area, 877-285-9348. And you can also join a live chat at WFIU.org slash Noon Edition. You know, I think sometimes – oh, go ahead, Mary. Oh, yeah. no. Well, I'm going to open a kettle of worms, actually. Are you really? I am. I'm curious. <laughs> is there um, – uh, any state law regarding corporal punishment in a child care setting, um, is it ever allowed? I mean, do, are there hopefully there are uh, sp- spoken rules about, you know, this sort of thing? Um, what do you know about that, Patty? Well, I know that it's very important for families to ask what the discipline policy is at the child care program that they choose. For their child, and child care programs should have written discipline policies and procedures um, because of the difference in regulation, because of the exemptions. Um, there are also differences in the belief and use of corporal punishment. So um, families really need to ask the questions. Um, and make sure that the child care program values match the family values. Okay, so so it isn't then a given that any child care program that you choose to participate in will not employ cor- corporal punishment. Is that correct? That is correct. Mm-hmm. All right. Uh, Jen, what's your policy on that? <laughs> so our policy is that we don't do that ever. Mm-hmm. Um, in fact, licensed... No hitting. <laughs> so licensed child care centers are forbidden from not only corporal punishment, but also even shaming a child. And, of course, in a high-quality setting, whether it's a licensed child care center or a cooperative child care center, any kind of high quality, they're going to view children's... Learning how to be a friend and learning how not to hit or bite or any of those things is part of the learning process. And so that's mm-hmm. part that's part of our teaching mm-hmm. with children. So we don't, you know, we don't even set them in time out because, you know, this one-year-old child isn't going to be able to do anything with that. Okay, mm-hmm. now I'm sitting in a chair. I don't have any idea <laughs> right, why. Right. And so we just view discipline. We, we call it guidance because yeah. it's really guiding their behavior and helping them learn the diff- a different way to go about 
solving their problem. Yeah. Yeah. Julie, did you want to comment? I was just quickly going to say um, another you know, crazy privilege of being at such a small center that's community-based is that um, at our center, each of the parents really – we, we create monthly kid reports where we sort of say, in this area of discipline, this has worked best for our kids. So we actually have, you know, one family that feels very comfortable with timeouts and feels like they work. So with that child, we use timeouts. You know, most other children have very different. So, uh, and of course, we would never shame or, right. as you mentioned, there are certain certain things we wouldn't do. But so that that's another sort of type of care where <laughs> every parent is kind of, you know, a very utopian type of care. So all the providers are reading these monthly reports about their Mm. individualized needs. Mm. Okay, we're going to go to Rex on the phone. Rex is from Martinsville. Rex? Oh, um, your discussion reminded me of a book I read, Another Country, and it was about um, a psychologist, uh, Mary Pfeiffer, who uh, spoke of her dealing with uh, older people, and she came up with uh, an idea of age segregation and how there are lonely people in nursing homes and kids that need connection with older people or, you know, uh, just a missed opportunity mm. for making those connections. Mm-hmm. Um, myself, I'm past the uh, child care stage. I'm a grandparent at this point, and, uh, you know, I can see how all these frustrations are uh, coming together, but... There, there may be some kind of a connection somewhere that could be made. Mm-hmm. Thank you. It's a good idea. Um, yeah. Okay, Rex, thanks. Uh, comments from you guys about having, I guess, young children connecting with uh, the elderly somewhere? Yeah. Sounds like a great plan. I think someone should um, create a center around <laughs> that model. Yeah. It's really interesting. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, I and think- there are some intergenerational centers. Uh, I'm not. Um, familiar with where any of those are in the state of Indiana, but there are some that are intergenerational. That is a good good point. This whole topic of affordable child care is um, kind of one of those um, that relates so specifically to a, a, a relatively short period of time in your life that I think that when you're in it and you're looking at, oh my gosh, what am I going to do with this child the most precious thing in my life and why isn't everybody paying attention to this and this is you know this is a huge deal in my life and then you know it's again if it's one child you're probably dealing with it for you know four years five years maybe at the most Um, and then it's in your rearview mirror and we I think that then you move on and go oh wow we got through that stage of our lives or or whatever and so I think it's one of those unfortunate things um, almost like uh, and a lot of them are, are child-related pregnancy or, or breastfeeding issues or all these kinds of things that when you're in it, it's, it's you know, pretty much almost all-encompassing. And then when you're out of it, it's, you know, you move on and you're dealing with whatever you're dealing with in your life um, at that moment. And so I think it is a challenge to keep um, other people uh, as interested in the issue as as you are if you're a person dealing with this. And so, Patty, is your organization, um, do you have awareness programs or do you have do you lobby or, or anything like that to kind of keep this issue in front of people even when it may be in their personal rearview mirror? That was a long question. Uh, that is a long question. <laughs> and actually, through, it is a very good and very true through our network of nine local community-based organizations. Um, They do a lot of work on the local level to keep this this topic alive and um, coordinate families uh, on the local level to speak. Our national organization, Child Care Aware of America, also has um, uh, parent voices that they, they do take on the hill to advocate on behalf of um, of this this topic, but I think you're exactly right. It it affects a family for a short period of time, and then uh, and then it's in the rearview mirror, as you said. But of course, it affects society, right? For for many years to come, for, right? So we need right. to build that case, right? right? Yeah. Exactly. But I think. Exactly. Yeah, and that's some of the, the some of what I wanted to get to too. So I think Mary Catherine asked a, a great question. Here's some statistics to sort of back it up from the key findings from those parents and the high cost of childcare 2013 report. 
uh, and it's pretty shocking to me. You know, I know how difficult it is to run a household without any young children to be paying child care for. And the cost of child care fees for two children um, exceeded the housing cost for mm-hmm. homeowners with a mortgage in 19 states mm-hmm. in the District of Columbia. As center-based child care fees for an infant exceeded the annual medium, median rent payments in 21 states. And if you have two kids, say an infant and a four-year-old, in, in a child care center, um, your cost for, for child care exceeded your annual rent payments in every state. Mine was so, more than my mortgage payment. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I, I, I think, and what Mary Catherine is saying is absolutely true. It's it's a small, there's a small group of people who are in that mm-hmm. every day trying to figure out how can I pay my mortgage? How can I pay my my child care? And there's even there's a statistic here about um, child care payments being Let's see. Yeah, child, the average in every region, the average child care fees for an infant in a child care center were higher than the average amount the family spent on food. Oh, yeah. So, you know, you talk about, well, we have these decisions on can I pay for food or can I pay for my electric bill? Well, a lot of families have the question, can I pay for child care or can I pay for food for my family? So, Or it, can I pay for quality child well, care? Quality child care. Right. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Right. So, you know, that gets us to, to recommendations on what can be done to, to make this uh, a higher visibility political issue in municipalities, in state, and at the federal level. Any of you have any ideas? Well, I think one of the things that would be really helpful if business leaders were to kind of take a stance on this is what we think should be happening with child care because they're one of the people most affected mm. when people, when their employees have to simply piece together friends and family members because those are the staff members who aren't showing up on Thursday because their child care arrangement fell through because they couldn't afford or weren't able to become part of a child care uh, that worked for them, sustainable, that sustainable yeah. mm-hmm. program or something that they could afford. Um, and I think because they have a bigger voice than young families, for example. Mm-hmm. I think really talking about it as a social justice issue is really important, framing it as um, – and it's often um, – kind of an issue around gender as well. Typically, women are the hardest hit in terms of, oh, well, then I guess I have to stay home or, you know, I need to go back to work and I have to throw my, right? So so it's, it's um, particularly to me um, an issue that, you know, I've been really lucky, right, because I have the resources to investigate and the education to sort of have the time to do that and then found this co-op and others are really lucky because they have sort of the money to, to invest in this child care. But but um, the the real the real and I think that the Y is doing a great job really reaching out and figuring out ways to to um, make this work for for a wider range of socioeconomic statuses and mm-hmm. and um, but it is I think a huge social justice issue that goes it's a cyclical thing. Mm-hmm. Well, and I think also you know um, families are smaller for a reason. I mean it, it's it's really expensive and when you're mm-hmm. putting thirty percent or more of your income toward child care, it really does just become absolutely cost prohibitive um, to continue to to have more children. So I think that makes it does play into the one and two Mm. child households. Patty, I know you have some thoughts, but please hold them for now because we have a phone (laughs) call and we're going to ask Chuck to come on with his question. Chuck? Yes. Go right ahead. My uh, question is for the members of the panel and for you, Mr. Zalsberg. Yes. Um, I hear you talking about costs versus income, um, I'd like to get some comments from the people who are there about whether they think costs should go down or whether they, they think um, um, other means should be, should be taken so that people are able to afford their child care. And now I'll hang up. All right. Thanks, Chuck. I think I'm going to turn to the panelists for that. Jen? Uh, we would love to lower our prices on child care. Unfortunately, we're, what we're charging is is literally the amount it costs to run the program. Mm-hmm. So unless we find some kind of outside subsidy besides the I think Patty mentioned the subsidization that is the fact that my teachers aren't getting paid enough. But, you know, so so while I'd love to be able to give families less costly quality child care, the only way that I could do it would be to make all of my staff part-time, and then we would have those huge issues with quality where mm-hmm. I've got different staff every day mm-hmm. and those kinds of things. So yeah. it's it's a question of what do you cut, what are you willing to take away from 
children, which mm-hmm. sounds, you know, in order to have low-cost care mm-hmm. be, you know, have co- care cost less. Mm-hmm. Jen, um, yeah, Julie? Yeah, I mean, I think that the big elephant in the room we actually mentioned quickly during the break is this um, federally subsidized, you know, child care, figuring out ways to subsidize. I think that's the answer. I mean, the other answer is, of course, to try to create more centers like our center. But I can just see lots of ways that that is difficult to sustain for, for parents that can't work so many hours and have typical workday schedules. And so, you know, um, that that's the big answer, I think, is that there is. You know, child care, good child care costs money, and that's worth investing in for for our country. Okay. Patty, we have two minutes. Now, I, I would agree with um, the other panelists. It is It does warrant a state level and a national uh, discussion about child care. We also really need to get at what the true cost of child care is um, so that we, we really know um, the what we're addressing and what needs to be addressed and how we can help support families to afford high-quality child care. And um, really, we don't want any family to be priced out of child care um, so that if they can achieve or if they can attain and are eligible for the subsidy, that's great. If they can't, um, we want families to be able to afford the very best for their child and to not be priced out of that market. Okay, I'm going to close by by actually going back to something Julie said in the very beginning. She talked about how this is a national issue that needs to have a national discussion. And one of the recommendations on this study was uh, the very first recommendation is a national discussion about the impact of the high cost of child care uh, should take place. This discussion should explore federal and state options in, in a innovative, low-cost solutions that have shown success in what has worked in other industries. So that's part of it. And, uh, you know, yeah, should the costs come down or, you know, what? I don't know. It's just a, it's a difficult issue. There's no, no question about it. Well, I want to thank our guests today, Julie Rust, Jen Smallwood, and Patty Ryan, for Mary Catherine Carmichael, um, and our producer, uh, Mike Pashkash, and Emily Wright. Our Emily Wright, our producer, and Mike, who's our engineer, uh, thanks uh, for listening to Noon Edition. We'll see you next week. Noon Edition is a production of WFIU and the Herald Times, a podcast of this and other WFIU programs is available at WFIU.org. Production support comes from Smithville, a locally owned business serving central and southern Indiana since 1922 with residential and business internet, voice, and security services. Smithville, local pride, global technology. Information at smithville.net. And from IU School of Public Health Bloomington, Addressing public health needs by preventing disease, promoting health, and improving quality of life across the state and around the world through research, teaching, and community engagement. Offering undergraduate and advanced degrees. publichealth.indiana.edu.